Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Wow, what a wonderful um, opportunity to get up and declare the goodness and the grace of the Lord our God, to be confident in who He is, to rely on His steadfast love and His mercies, which are new every morning. That is the spirit in which I arose this morning. I trust it's the spirit in which you have risen as well, the very spirit of the living Christ. It is not only a joy to anticipate Christmas, it's a, it is just such a confident joy um, and a substantial hope to live on this side of Easter. And so I'm mindful of that uh, today, and I wonder what you are mindful of this morning. I want us to be people who are developing the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, that allowing our minds to be transformed by the Word of God. And so I'm going to lead off with, you know, my standard question, where in the Word are you today? I am in Luke chapter 9 as a part of our Reading Through the Bible series here at Faith Radio. If you have not yet joined us in that, you can still do so. You go to MyFaithRadio.com, join us in the Reading um, reading Through the Bible Gospel of Luke study we're doing this particular month. So it's December 9th, which means we are in Luke chapter 9. And uh, I just want to encourage you to, you know, Spend some time in the Word of God today. Uh, In this chapter, Jesus sends out the 12. It's also the chapter in which Luke records the confession of Peter in relationship to the question, uh, who do you say that I am? I I love, it's one of my favorite, favorite exchanges in, uh, in all of the Gospels because... It helps reinforce not only what the world is saying about Jesus at the time, because, you know, people have lots of opinions. Like, there's a lot of word on the street out there. You know, who, did, who, do, who do the crowd say that I am? That's where Jesus starts the conversation. And then he turns and he makes it personal. And ultimately, that's the question each and every one of us is confronted with. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? What is your response to the reality of the incarnate God? What is your response to the reality that God took on human flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What is your response to Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Peter offers up a confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus affirms that. You know, Peter, there's, the only way you could have known that, the only way you could have known that is if God revealed that truth to you by faith. We also um, witness the transfiguration of Jesus where his glory is revealed. And then as he comes down uh, from the mountain, the healing of a boy uh, with an evil spirit demonstrating again uh, Jesus's authority over all the powers and principalities, even those things that 
haunt and plague us. All right, there's a lot in Luke chapter 9. I invite you and encourage you to engage in it today. We have just been in three days of winter fundraising, and you guys showed up in big, big, big ways. Paul Perot, um, let's do like an overnight thank you oh, list. Oh, well, no, I a don't little have bit. that up Two or yet. three? Oh, two or I, three. Maybe yeah. two. Let's just do two or three over here that we see on okay. the screen. How about the person that checked in at 11, 12 last night? There you go. Haley from Eden Prairie, thank you so much. She's been loving uh, reading the Bible. Amen. 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 Um, we've got Thomas from La Crosse, Wisconsin, joining us overnight as well. Jamie from Woodbury, Minnesota, asking for prayers for the children of the nation. Uh, a friend in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, on and on and on. Um, a couple dozen folks checked in. Actually, you know, after the point in time yesterday when we were live on air uh, in winter fundraiser. And so thank you. Thank you to the nearly 500 folks who joined us during the winter fundraiser for the very first time. That's just amazing. It's incredible. It we have thousands of folks who give in an ongoing way to support the Ministry of Faith Radio and invite you to consider a year-end gift as well. Um, hey, if you haven't done so already, sign up for the great giveaway. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. When we come back, we're going to do some of the headlines of the day with our good friend Ben Johnson. We'll be right back. This is my right. friend and pastor Ben Johnson is back. He is a media reporter for the Daily Wire. You can find what he's writing at dailywire.com. Ben, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. There's a lot of media, media headlines we could be talking about, but we're not going to. Yeah. I mean, right? There's a lot of transitions out there. All right. Um, So I love what you're writing. I love what you're covering at dailywire.com. But you are also my go-to guy for all things religious liberty, free speech, um, you know, all of the rights out there that we have um, as not only believers, but as citizens of this great nation. So let's talk a little bit about free speech today. Um, There are some free speech and, and rights headlines out there, one out of Iowa. What's going on there? This is a good news story, and uh, you know it's it's sometimes rare in these segments because of the onslaught of Christian uh, discrimination that's taking place that we're able to highlight something that's positive. This is rectifying a previous instance of discrimination against Christians. So this is very good news. The University of Iowa has to pay two Christian groups uh, almost two million dollars in settlements uh, because of the way that they discriminated against them. Back in 2017, uh, a homosexual student had applied to be a leader in a Christian group called Business Leaders in Christ, and he refused to sign their faith statement uh, in part because it says that marriage is the institution exclusively of one man and one woman. He went to the university. The university said, this violates our human rights policy, and therefore we are going to delist, deregister, end this group as a campus group and no longer recognize it. Uh, the group immediately sued with the help of the Beckett Fund, and uh, the the judges said that the university had acted wrongly in this case, but instead of rectifying it, they decided to go back and review all of the religious organizations, and they ended up delisting 38 more organizations, including the University Christian Fellowship. Uh, Ivy, uh, the, the University Christian Fellowship sued, uh, and so you have these two uh, two lawsuits going forward, Ultimately, uh, 
both an Obama-appointed judge and a Trump-appointed judge ruled that the administrators had acted wrongly, they had denied them their constitutional rights. And by the way, at the same time that they did this, they allowed the group that uh, that student founded, uh, the student who tried to apply for a leadership a role, uh, founded his own organization, uh, which required people to sign, quote, a gay-affirming statement of Christian faith. Now, what, what such a thing is may, might boggle our mind uh, that, that such a thing exists, but uh, he, he came up with such a thing, and he said that anyone who wants to be a leader has to affirm homosexuality is compatible with the Bible. Okay, so did and, he not see his uh, own internal hypocrisy? <laughs> right. I uh, mean, I, he didn't. Um, yeah. But uh, but the judges did, thankfully, and so they, they've ruled a, a total of uh, almost $2 million in uh, real, ju- in, in real uh, damages as well as lawyer fees. And the damage part's good because uh, InterVarsity sued individual members of the faculty in their individual capacities. And they said they had qualified immunity, and uh, the Obama-appointed judge stripped qualified immunity from them. They said this was so egregious. Uh, matter of fact, the, the final ruling on it said, quote, we are hard pressed to find a clearer example of viewpoint discrimination. Amen. So, All right. So this is a uh, this is something you're going to want to read about. It's covered really in a lot of different places. Um, there's a headline at Yahoo.com, one at The Washington Post, on and on and on. Um, all right, so um, we, we pulled it from the AP. So lots of places covering this, this Iowa to pay $1.9 million to settle religious speech lawsuits might be one way for you to um, be finding that. All right, um, Ben, let's, uh, let's talk about what is coming uh, here before the Supreme Court. This case is, um, depending on which headline you read, this is either a case about school choice and um, religious liberty, or it is a case about forcing U.S. taxpayers to pay for religious education. That's right. And, and as you say, it depends on whether you're the plaintiff or the defendant in this case. Uh, essentially what happened, we have to set the stage a little bit because this is taking place in Maine. And the situation in Maine is much different uh, throughout New England, Vermont, and New Hampshire have similar situations where Maine is so rural that about half of the school districts don't have a public school. Uh, but their constitution guarantees a free education to every student. So if you're if you live in Maine and you have a, a child who's of school age and you happen to live in more than half the state, either your school district will uh, contract with another public school district and they'll be bussed, you know, a long way out of the way, or you can take public money and use that at a private educational facility. And these can be religious facilities. Uh, however. Two, stu- uh, two uh, students were denied the right to do this, uh, both at uh, the Banger Christian Schools and Temple Academy. Uh, in part, uh, the way that the, the state justified this was saying that uh, these two taught, quote-unquote, sectarian material, which is to say that they openly taught religious instruction. Uh, they're saying that public money can go to religious schools as long as they don't openly teach religion. <laughs> now, <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Figure that one out. Uh, but that's that's essentially what they're saying. So, uh, you know, if, if you're providing the same kind of an education that they would get in a public school, which is to say basically a secular school, which maybe you know, brings in a Christian value now and again, but doesn't explicitly teach the Bible or religion, then you can have state money. If you actually teach, hey, the golden rule comes from this verse in the Bible, then you no longer have the ability to do so. The real issue, though, if you read through uh, the complaint that was filed uh, by by the uh, state of Maine with the Supreme Court, it says the real issue is that these school districts require people to have a statement of faith 
and they say that homosexuality and transgenderism will not be tolerated. They would never hire a transgender teacher, nor would they hire a homosexual teacher. And that's really the nub of the issue. Uh, so they're they're trying to do their best to deny state funds to people both uh, uh, on the basis of religion, but really on the basis of the content of that religion. Yeah, I um, I served for a period of time in a rural county in extreme northeast Georgia, where until the mid-1970s, there was no public high school. And so students were either, as you say, bussed across county lines. And because it's a it's a county that borders both um, South Carolina and North Carolina, the only option was to be bussed to the you know, closest next county in Georgia, which was over a um, ridge line and a um, and a river, and um, and so the religious education that was provided in that case by the Presbyterian Church um, educated everybody in that county for generations until the mid seventies when um, there was finally enough local money to build a school. So I'm just saying, like, what's going on in Maine has been going on and is going on in other parts of the country as well. It's just that people who live in cities or live in communities that are large enough. Um, you know, to have the capacity to have schools on, you know, in every zip code, you know, they don't understand this at all. They, just, they genuinely don't understand what's going on in most of them, in much of America. Yeah, no, it was kind of mind blowing for me, uh, you know, to find out, for example, the, the way that it crossed my radar is the fact that uh, this is actually the norm in Vermont, mm-hmm. where Bernie Sanders defends this situation. Uh, so as one of the ways that he uh, kept his uh, his seat in Congress was to defend this, which was you know, this system, which was obviously serving his constituents very well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it is the situation that uh, the church is doing what the church has traditionally done. The church has always provided education. In fact, if you go back, the, the church actually created the idea of a university in the first place. That's exactly right. So, yeah, uh, this this is the way that uh, people have been educated for generations and eons. And uh, it's it's wrong that the state is trying to discriminate and pry this apart because the church teaches the traditional morality that it has always taught when it comes to uh, certain moral beliefs. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. All right, uh, Ben, let's take a very brief break. And when we come back, let's uh, let's pivot topics. Um, here's the question that I'm going to ask uh, before we go, the, go to the break, and you guys can be thinking about it. Um, how far does China have to go before we as Christians um, do something? I think that's going to be my question. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're back. Uh, This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to the Faith Radio Network. Thank you to those of you joining us for the very first time. My conversation partner uh, each and every Thursday at this hour is Ben Johnson, among many, many other things. He is a media reporter for the Daily Wire, and you can find what he's writing at dailywire.com. Ben, let's turn our attention to China. Talk with us about how China is seeking to further restrict religious practices. Right. And it's already very restricted in China. But uh, President Xi Jinping uh, was recently talking about how he wants to go even further in restricting the rights of Christians in the world's most populous nation. Uh, There was a national religious affairs meeting in Beijing where he talked about uh, the policy of what he calls sinicization. And that that could probably be our word of the day, sinicization. Uh, The idea of sino is is a a traditional suffix or prefix for uh, for China. And his his policy has been that you can have officially state-approved churches. There's a, a state-approved Protestant church, a state-approved Catholic church, but 
if you belong to a house church, they will demolish the home. You, you can be uh, sent to uh, the gulag for that. But in those churches that teach Christianity officially with the blessing of the government, you also have to teach government doctrine. And specifically, according to the article in Bloomberg, uh, this includes, quote, nationalism, collectivism, socialism, and an improved understanding of history in the religious sector, which is to say, this is teaching communism and socialism. You have to teach that Christianity teaches communism and socialism. And this is just intensifying something that's been ongoing for a very long time. Our friends at uh, Bitter Harvest magazine, uh, or Bitter Winter, have talked about this for a very long time, uh, about uh, the fact that people who have pictures of Jesus have had to take them out of their homes or they will lose their monthly pension and starve to death. Uh, that Ten Commandments have been taken down in Protestant churches and replaced with a statement that affirms socialism, uh, and on and on. Uh, Bibles have been uh, have been confiscated. This has been going on for a very long time, that uh, anything that is taught any place has to align with the official doctrine of, uh, of the Co- Chinese Communist Party, and anyone who uh, deviates from that will be punished, just as the uh, entire Uyghur population is being punished in Zhangjing province. So, uh, this is this is something that's ongoing, but he and he's signaling here now that he has gotten rid of all constraints on his own person, uh, that he's essentially president for life like Mao Zedong before him. He is going to crack down on the Christian church and force Christians to teach communism in in every Sunday from the pulpit or uh, they are going to face massive persecution. Yeah, sign sinicization. So if you're looking for the word S-I-N-I-C-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. So, sinicization. Sinicization, it means aligning or syncretizing uh, or synchronizing a, a religious beliefs to China's cultural, religious, and political ideology, like the religious rules of the culture. Um, and so, it it is a word we should know, and it is a process we should understand, and we should be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in China and other people of faith, like the Uyghurs, um, who are being systematically persecuted um, by the Chinese government. Um, it, this is not the only sort of naughtiness afoot in China. Is there anything else going on um, there that you want us to be particularly alert to in these days? Oh, uh, almost everything that's going on in China <laughs> is is a, is a system for concern. But uh, obviously, you're you're looking at uh, a military buildup uh, that is targeted specifically at uh, the nation of Taiwan, which uh, the United States still has a treaty. Uh, we're diplomatically bound to defend it in the case of uh, of, of outright aggression. And so, in in a case like this, uh, obviously they. Uh, we, we need to pray that uh, cooler heads will prevail. I think down the line it probably will. I think this is a show of strength aimed more at the United States than at Taiwan. And ultimately, uh, they believe, the, the Chinese leaders I, I have uh, on firm background, believe that eventually Taiwan is, is going to be absorbed without any uh, U.S. opposition. So please pray uh, for the continued freedom of the people in Taiwan, uh, as well as in China, it, it very soon may become the world's largest Christian nation. We don't ever think of it that way. But uh, the population is so massive, the Spirit of God has been moving there for decades, and missionaries have risked their lives. A lot is going on in China, and uh, we should we should pray uh, diplomatically that uh, we'll come to a, a peaceful solution, but also that uh, what's happening within the borders of China comes to a close, and the gospel has free course 
and can be preached in its fullness and its purity throughout that entire massive population. Yeah, it's uh, you're exactly right. Um, we think in terms of percentage, like the percentage of a population that uh, are people of confessing faith. And so we think here in the United States, you know, we're a we're dominant Christian country. Um, but in reality, we have so few people compared to the population of China that they can have a much, much, much lower percentage of Christians in the population and still have more Christians in their population than we do here in the United States. It's a, a very, very interesting way um, of looking at things. All right. I want to give you an opportunity to um, reflect briefly here about um, what's going on in in terms of the Pope sort of smacking down the EU um, on their attempt to make uh, inclusive language uh, applied to Christmas. Well, I'm glad that uh, every year we have to deal with this issue of the war on Christmas, and I was glad to see uh, there was a uh, pushback uh, at the very highest levels within Europe. Uh, The European Commission put forward a document calling for, quote-unquote, inclusive language, And, of course, inclusive language means excluding all particular groups, uh, particularly Christians. So it it told people not to use names like Christian names, not to use that phrase, and not refer to Christian holidays specifically. Uh, It it says, quote, not everyone celebrates the Christian holidays, and not all Christians celebrate them on the same dates. Uh, Therefore, uh, instead, say things like holiday times and holidays, uh, which which is all well and good, except that if you're talking to someone who is Christian, uh, obviously, they are celebrating Christian holidays. That is, the to the extent that there is faith left in Europe, that's the predominant uh, position. And the Pope, uh, it, there was such—when uh, when these documents uh, finally came to light because of an Italian journal called Il Giornale, which I believe is Italian for journal, uh, they, they, uh, they, there was a massive public backlash. They had to rescind it, but the Pope just pointed out, as he has many, many times, that Christianity has formed the basis of Europe— uh, from its very foundation, that it is part of the warp and woof, and the history of, of Europe would be inconceivable without the influence of the Christian religion or the Christian faith. Uh, I remember back in college, I took a, a course on the history of Christianity, and I asked uh, in my secular college, I said, what, what department does this fall under? He says, well, European history, of course. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's impossible to separate the two, and I'm glad someone finally spoke out about it. Yeah, Ben, um, as always, thank you so much. We love talking with you. We look forward to our conversation next week. Uh, that is Ben Johnson. He's a media reporter from The Daily Wire. You can read what he's writing at dailywire.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. He tweets at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. Are you hurting today? Do you know someone who is hurting? We all have people in our lives who are dealing with very difficult realities during this season. You may be uh, one among them. I know we have so many listeners who have suffered the loss of a friend, a colleague, a brother or sister, a mom or a dad, a child, a grandchild. Grief is real and it is hard, and it is not the only suffering that we experience. Many, uh, many of us have folks who we love in the world who are addicted, who are suffering from mental illness, who are incarcerated. The list is long. Lots of folks listening have a child or a grandchild who is self-harming. I just, the, the ways in which, um, and, and that doesn't even, you know, like begin to touch sort of the relational stress that a lot of people are under um, or the the griefs that we experience that, you know, 
They are not griefs related to the death of an individual, but to the death of a relationship or the death of a dream um, or the death of access or mobility or functionality. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. Are you hurting? How are you hurting today? And what does it look like to help those who are hurting? We're going to talk next with Vanitha Reisner about that. We'll be right back. As a part of my ministry, I fly all over the country to meet with families who need help. And one thing I've learned at 35,000 feet in the air is that the ride can be turbulent at times. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You know the feeling. The bumps start coming. You're getting jostled around in your seat. And the captain tells you what you already knew. There's turbulence ahead. It's the perfect metaphor for raising teens, isn't it? What once seemed like a simple journey from point A to point B becomes a white-knuckle ride. Every bounce feels like you're going to crash and burn. Let me reassure you, sometimes the bumpy ride isn't the one we choose for ourselves, but it's exactly the one God chose for you. So be sure to fasten your seatbelt and hang on. God is working His perfect plan in you. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Maybe the most important thing to tell you about Vanitha Reisner is she's just like us. She's just like us. Um, she is a, a mom and a, a grandma. Um, well, I think she's a grandma. Let's see. 20-something-year-old daughters. I don't know. I'm going to have to ask about that. She is. A, she's an author. She has written two books, Walking Through Fire, which is a memoir of loss and redemption. And she also has written a devotional, The Scars that have shaped me. She's a regular contributor for Desiring God. You can find uh, Vanitha and the things that she's writing about right now and the resource that we are going to uh, be talking about at Vanitha.com. That's V-A-N-E-E-T-H-A. Vanitha, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here, Carmen. And yes, I am a grandmother. Ah. My husband, Joel, has two daughters, and each of them have kids. So I, I am Nana. You are really Nana? Mm. Yes, I am Nana. Hello, Nana. I love that. I love that. Um, so we're going to talk today about a very specific resource that you've developed. It's free to download at your website. It's called Helping the Hurting, um, and it's a guide for each and every one of us. And so if you're listening right now, let me just go ahead and tell you, it's it's Absolutely. You should go to Vanitha.com and download the free Helping the Hurting Guide. Um, what a great resource. Vanitha, what, what provoked or motivated you to, um, to develop and offer this resource? Well, there's a bunch of things that I was thinking about, Carmen. First of all, I've been through a lot of suffering and realized people really showed up for me. And before that, honestly, I don't think I showed up for people very well because I, I didn't really know what to do. But after they did, often I would forget and I would think, oh, what, what was that really nice thing somebody did for me? Or when somebody was going through something, I couldn't think of what to do. So I started for myself just sort of jotting down like, this was helpful. Don't forget. Send a card. Do this. And then I thought this would be really helpful for other people because we forget so quickly, even if we've experienced great care. Uh, it was so kind of 
funny, last month, a friend of mine who went through unbelievable suffering the previous year, her daughter committed suicide. I mean, it was such a hard year. And she said people had come beside her. And yet she said one of her friend's husbands died. And she said, I don't know what to do. Can you mm. remind me of what I we had talked about? Because we just forget. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the biggest reasons I wrote is, is to help remind people because it's never too late. So even if you've had a friend who struggled with something months ago, you can reach out to them. So that's the main reason. And then another reason I wrote it, Carmen, is for people who are hurting, who don't even know what they want, because a lot of times you don't know what you need and you don't know how to get help. And I have a lot of people that subscribe to my blog that say I'm lonely and nobody's reaching out and they don't really know how to initiate that conversation. And so my prayer is people would be vulnerable or bold enough to, to print this out and kind of circle like, Hey, this would be really great for me and give it to somebody you trust because I think they would really value knowing what would help because mm -hmm. they don't know. And so they often don't do anything because they think, oh, maybe other people are stepping in. We always think, oh, somebody else is probably doing that when often nobody is. So I was hoping and praying that this would be a really good resource for people in the midst of their pain that are thinking, ah, I'd love for somebody to reach out. I just don't know how to tell them. Yeah, there's no question. That is exactly what it is. It is a really good and useful resource for precisely that. Um, you, if you are hurting, um, it's a good resource to you know ch kind of check on yourself and um, and also when people ask, "What can I do?" Because people ask that all the time. You'll actually be ready to say, you know, um, this this would actually, I think this would be helpful. And if you'd be willing to do this, that would be wonderful. Um, that's, you know, equipping others who want to help. But it's also a great resource for those of us who know hurting people and want to come alongside them in ways that are, um, that mean well. Because I think that there are also, Vanitha, times that we come alongside hurting people and we're just mean and so yes. I, right. So I, this is what I feel like part of what you're doing is not only helping us do the right thing, but help us stop doing the wrong things. Like, I, yes, that's going on here as well. Yeah. I've done a lot of the wrong things, Carmen. And so I write it from somebody ex who's experienced, who's done the wrong things, but also been hurt by people who I think are trying to help. But I remember at my son's funeral, Somebody said, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And, you know, you really shouldn't cry because one day this will mm. be good. And mm. I mean, that was so hard because I don't think we give people permission to grieve often. We we just want them to feel better. And, and that's not really what God calls us to do. But we want to do it mm -hmm. and we try to do it. <laughs> well, I'm um, I'm traveling uh, tomorrow to. Uh, be with uh, my friend Shelly. Um, her her 17-year-old daughter died last week, and the service is tomorrow in Dallas. And um, I, I got to tell you that, you know, in, in preparing for my conversation with you today um, and acknowledging, you know, that you are a person who has, has suffered this kind of loss, it reminds me that um, many of us have suffered similar losses, but loss is totally 100% unique to the experience, the moment in time, the relationship. Um, and so just because, you know, I have loss in my past of certain varieties, that doesn't mean I, quote, know how Shelley feels. I don't know how Shelley feels. And 
And even a person who has also lost a child doesn't know exactly how Shelly feels. And so that was really a helpful reminder um, as well. So let me just remind folks, you can find this resource. It's free. It's at Vanitha.com, V-A-N-E-E-T-H-A.com. You're looking for the Helping the Hurting Guide. It's not hard to find. It's on the left-hand side um, of the webpage uh, when you open it up, and you can just click right on it. So um, Vanitha.com. We're going to continue our conversation with Vanitha Reisner in just a moment. We're talking about the Helping the Hurting Guide. We're also going to talk about Vanitha's community group on face on Facebook um, that's designed for those who are walking through fire. We'll be right back. Oh, come, all you unfaithful, come, weak and unstable, come, know you are not alone. Oh, I know you're going to ask. That is O Come All You Unfaithful by Sovereign Grace. It is such a wonderful, timely, new Christmas song. We do come to um, the one who is the offering, the one who is the gift. We come to him weak and unstable, knowing we are not alone, um, even those of us barren and waiting. Uh, we're talking with Vanitha Reisner. She is the creator of Helping the Hurting Guide. She is also the host of a community group on Facebook, Uh that is designed for those walking through fire. You can find her and access to all of those resources at Vanitha.com. Um, Vanitha, let's talk about uh, the importance of showing up and some of the ways that we can show up for our hurting friends. Yeah, I think showing up, Carmen, is the most important thing. Well, actually, praying is the most important mm-hmm. thing. But second to praying is showing up because I think presence is one of the greatest gifts we can give people. And sometimes we may show up, we may show up at their door and they may say, this is not a good time. And it's fine to say, oh yeah, let me come back at another time. Or or what would you like? When would you like me to come? Or would you rather just have me check in another way? But most people really appreciate presence. And I always say, bring salty snacks or brownies with your presence. That's always appreciated too. But I think just having somebody sit with you can be a gift, whether you are a verbal processor or not. Because one of the things that helped me, Carmen, after Paul died was a friend who came over, which at first I wouldn't have said I really needed somebody, but she sort of straightened up in the kitchen. She was in the background. She would come and go to my house over the next two weeks, but never made it feel like I needed to speak to her. It was more like, hey, you know, I'm just going to do some stuff. And if you want to talk, I want to listen. I want to run errands. I want to do whatever you want me to do. And I can leave if you want me to. But that was a gift that I wouldn't have expected that I needed. And it was incredible. And the other thing is just having people be there knows that you're makes you know that you're not alone. And I think we feel very lonely in our suffering. And nobody can enter into our pain, but they can just be with us. And that is an incredible gift. That um, that being, that physically being there, you know, it's representative of the God who shows up, who takes on human flesh and dwells among us. It's it's literally incarnational. Um, I, have, I had a friend once who, you know, talked about the fact that um, until... Until you arrive, whoever you are as the Christian friend, until you arrive, like it feels like God's not there sometimes. And so um, I want to equip people with that knowledge that you are walking as a person of faith, as a child of God 
into a room where for some people it feels like God's gone. And we bring, we carry that presence with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know God's not gone, but sometimes it feels like God's absent from a situation. And so I want to just say that just your, just your presence as a person of faith, praying silently, um, lifting up the situation, you are, you are changing the environment when you show up empowered by the Holy Spirit, even if you simply silently serve in the background of whatever's going on. Uh, amen. That's exactly right, Carmen. You are changing the environment. It just feels different when somebody is there with you. That's exactly right. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, I've bought the card, but what do I write on it? Yeah, that I've sat in front of an empty card so many times. So <laughs> I, I have, I have boxes of empty cards. I mean, I don't, I yeah. don't see, you know, right? Like I have these, I have so many purchased cards of good intention, but right. I'm, and I'm a words person, but it is sometimes hard to put it, put down something meaningful and you have a whole list. You like give us a whole list. It's such grace. Yeah. Well, and I did that for me, Carmen, because I have sat in front of cards for really almost an hour just thinking, what should I say? Do I need to be profound? And I realized nobody wants my profound words because one, they're not that (laughs) profound, but I think people love just something really short. Like we loved her too, Mm -hmm. you know, or praying, praying, praying for you. Sometimes I've gotten a scripture and I have in this guide, like some scriptures that are great to just write out the scripture, maybe insert their name into it. Those simple things are all you need to do. And often maybe just a small memory if it's somebody that they've lost. But, you know, in your first card, you don't have to do any of those things. Just getting something to them that helps them know that you care. The one thing I would say is don't just sign your name, um, you know, buy this beautiful card and sign your name because people go straight to the words that you write. They don't have to be long but that communicates care in a, in a way when you write it in your own, own handwriting, something uh, even short. Like I have written things like, you mean the world to me. I'm so sorry for all you're going through. Or I wish I could make things easier for you. Know that we are praying. I mean, those things are just so simple to write, but they mean a lot. And you can write them in a card or you can write them in a text because nowadays we're texting. And usually I say, don't text me back. No need to text me back, but wanted you to know, because Mm -hmm. sometimes people feel a lot of stress when there's all these texts, when they're going through something traumatic. So I think prefacing it with, I might be texting you over the next month, but do not feel like you need to respond to me. I just want to pour into you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really helpful because those of us who feel guilty about things can feel guilty about not responding to texts. So that's so. really good because I think that that also reminds us that I, I have to give in these circumstances with no expectation. I, I have yes. to show up and be present or text or send a card or, you know, do an act of ser- whatever, an act of service. Um with no expectation of the hurting person. That's a great point. Yes. Sometimes I think we are waiting for them to say, wow, thank you. That was an amazing meal or write a thank you card <laughs> or, you know, just praise us for what we've done. So, Vanita, we're kinda so, like that, so um, I have to say, like, I can't lie to people. Like I can't, I'm like, I'm, Part of my challenge is that I mean, sometimes people do something that's so wonderful and so nice and they, they provide a meal, right? And you can't say that was a wonderful meal. Like I just, because <laughs> you're just like, yeah, it's just a, such an act of kindness and such an act of grace, but I can't say it. 
Like, I, know. I know. I'm just saying, like, right. Not everybody is a good cook. I just love me and Dis. You know, that's no criticism. That's just reality. So, uh, you know, it's so funny. I say, if you're not a good cook, if that is not something you do, like, there is Uber Eats, there is pizza, there is a lot of other ways. Because once I got a pot roast, literally, we all tried to cut it and, and we couldn't. Like, we did not know what to do with it. That's and so, so we had funny. to throw it away and just say, thanks so much for your thoughtfulness. That's what you said for that. So, my, um, my, mom was a widow for a very long period of time. She eventually ran into this, this, you know, friend that they were at an event and and it took a few minutes. And finally she said, you know, where's, where's LaVon? And he said, now Ruthann, I I know you're going to feel bad because you didn't know she died a year ago. And my mom was horrified. And then, and he's like, now Ruthann, I knew you didn't know because you're the only woman in a hundred miles that didn't show up with a casserole. So I'm just saying like, right, sometimes, sometimes, you know, there you go. All right. He's now, he's been my stepdad now. They've been married for 20 years. So there you go. It's, there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff that's going on out there. Vanita, what a joy, what a delight to get to visit with you today. Um, let's remind people that they can find this resource. It's so good. We just, we just barely, barely tipped our toe into it. The resource is called Helping the Hurting. You can download it for free. Go to Vanita.com. V-A-N, Van, Etha, E-E-T-H-A, Vanitha.com. Get the Helping the Hurting Guide. And you can also go from there um, to access Vanitha's community group page on Facebook. Um, if you want to... If you want to be in community with a group of people who are walking through fire, it's um, it'd be a blessing to you as well. Vanitha Reisner, what a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Carmen. This was wonderful. It was wonderful. Thank you. We'll be right back. What are you dreaming of? What are in your hopes and dreams this season? Dreaming of a white Christmas? If you live anywhere around um, Minneapolis, you're having a white day anyway. You're getting a white pre-Christmas. It's kind of not fair to the rest of us, I just want to say. Well, I mean, this is Minnesota. It's It's like snow jealousy. Yeah, and we have a winter storm potentially. (laughs) for the Twin Cities <laughs> Friday, so we'll see. That's Paul, because he yeah. does love to report on the weather. <laughs> so whether I'm or not you are here or somewhere else around the world, no matter what the weather, Christmas is coming. What are your dreams and what are your hopes related to the coming of Christ? And how might you share those with someone else? How might you share with someone today um, the hopes and dreams that you have for Christmas? And in that way, invite them into the season during which we anticipate the greatest gift God has ever given, wrapped in human flesh, delivered in the person of Christ. Yes, who came, who lived, that he might die on our behalf. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We have a whole nother hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.